Hello and welcome back to the Real Men Cry and Laugh podcast. I am Chris Yeh, one half of the tag team of sensitivity, along with my taller partner, Tim Taylor. And we're glad to have you back with us. Obviously, we somehow did not manage to drive you away with the last episode. <laughs> Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. That made me actually think like we would be a good, like, emotional wrestling tag team absolutely we could take we could take on other famous tag teams like you know the junkyard dog and <laughs> jimmy superfly snooker well the, the question is who do you think would be a most most emotionally fluent of all the uh, wrestlers i i only really know that time frame of like uh kamala the ugandan giant and uh who was the guy oh you know who i think would actually be emotionally fluent george the animal steel mm. You know he's a teacher. I did not know that he was a teacher. Yeah, he used to you know, eat. He used to eat the uh, what do you call those buckles? Whatever they are, the corners of the um, of the of the uh, ring. You know, I sometimes read the professional wrestling coverage of the ringer. I don't know if you do as well, but they recently had a profile of a woman who is a dentist who is also now one of the big stars of the uh, AEW wrestling uh -huh. circuit. Uh huh. What, what, is, what does she call herself? Uh, her name DMD. DM, what? which I think. Oh, is, I see. I see. Yeah, I got. It. I got. As it. opposed got to it. DDS. So there was this one time I was in San Francisco. This was a lot of years ago, and we rented a cable car on wheels, and we went through all these different places. And the end point was uh, Soma, like like uh, South of Market in San Francisco, and we got dropped off at this bar that I can't even remember what it was called it was across the street from Slim's, but I walked in and they were having a wrestling night. And, and the match that I saw, it was Jesus versus Satan. Who won? Jesus. I'm glad to hear that. It was so fun. When he got introduced, you know, he was doing the, 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 the whatever. It was just the buddy Christ. <laughs> And it, it was just sort of a mishmash of humanity watching this, like from like really upscale yuppie kind of people to like, you know, sort of down on their luck and people like me and, uh, and nobody else from the cable car on wheels came into that bar with me. They all went to a different bar. And so there's a part of me that thinks maybe it never happened anyway. Now I got to ask you, I was thinking this the other day, does anyone still use the term yuppie anymore? Young urban professional, I guess not. I mean, how long has it been? Once upon well, a time, yuppies so, stood athwart the landscape, but now nobody talks about them. Well, so back then they did. I know. This was 25 years ago. No, it must have been 30 years ago. Well, the yuppies really rose to prominence in the 1980s. Right. And so it was a confluence of things. Yuppies, Ronald Reagan, the BMW, and of course the movie Wall Street. Right. So we had all these things coming together to push the yuppie agenda. And eventually we reached yuppie apotheosis with 30 something. But today, where is the yuppie gone? I saw a special on CNN the other night that talked about TV in the 80s and 30 something was a big, big piece of the puzzle. Um, so good question. I don't know. I don't know what that version, you know, you know how like the hippies in the 60s, a lot of them became like government officials like mm -hmm. house representatives i don't know if any senate members are like that but i know a bunch of house representatives were the question is uh when the yuppies grew up what did they become well what today's young people would say is they became boomers <laughs> that's the, that's just a demographic shift that's not no, no, like boomer no longer refers to demographic i'm sure there's young people who refer to you and i as boomers yeah not boomer esiason Boomer Esiason is Chris probably Berman. long forgotten, sadly. People don't even remember the great Sam Weish. They, they know who Steve Weish is, I can tell you that. Well, there you go. Yeah, Boomer was pretty cool. He went to the University of Maryland. Go he, Terps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did Frank Reich. Um, so anyway, so I'm great. I have my, for those of you who are listening, I have a shirt that says Real Men Cry which was sort of the inspiration, at least for part of the name of the podcast. Now, the shirt appears to be sleeveless. Is this one of the ones that you modified into becoming sleeveless? Yes. 
is because I play I play basketball with it, uh, or I, I go work out with it on. And uh, that was the story about the old German dude who came up to me and talked to me about it. So let it's me just, ask you this question about let's I understand playing basketball when you're working out are sleeves really so constraining or is this just to show off the guns? <laughs> As you can see, I have no guns, like literally. All right, so no you're guns. showing off your armpit hair instead. Yes, exactly. So, so Kevin I, McHale, this <laughs> this is this is kind of an uncomfortable story, but I was playing basketball this morning. And I had the Theragun, you know, the Theragun, yeah, you can like, you work your muscles the out. The massage at. gun. Right. The massage gun. And I wanted to work out my chest mm -hmm. because I, I I thought it drained something. And I put it on there and my man boob was vibrating and my friends were making fun of me. So uh, they're just jealous. At, they're just I jealous. That. I said, don't tell me you're not turned on. I know it. So I, I'm going to open an open a really niche OnlyFans account where I use my Theragun on my man boobs with sweater like a sweater and a sport jacket first and then i take off the sport jacket and it's a sweater and then i take that off and i've got like a nice polo shirt on and i take that off and i have like a white t-shirt underneath it and then i take it and, and then it's like you must subscribe to the premium version to get what's coming next this sounds like a money maker i mean you got to jump right on this <laughs> yeah uh, well how are you chris I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, one of the things that we talked about in our previous session yep. was we talked about chat GPT, which of yes. course was very hot at the time remains hot. But one of the things I did is I actually took some of your prompts and I ran them through chat GPT. Are you interested in hearing what they have I to am. say? I am. And if, if no, if you didn't listen to the last one, somehow jumped on episode three, chat GPT is just an AI driven version that scours and takes in the internet circa 2021 and creates a uh a conversation of some sort where you ask it questions and it, and it responds and so we had a couple prompts that we were really interested in and so chris was nice enough to do it and has the results go for it so prompt number one was my childhood wound is the feeling i am not enough one of the key lines from the father daughter dance one man show <laughs> that's right the play and the father daughter dance the podcast the one man show the play the musical the recorded version the book the french translation I... <laughs> the claymation <laughs> you have heard of high school musical the musical the show yes yes there yes. we go There's that was my inspiration all right here is what the cold steely robotic mind had to oh, say oh you are <laughs> You are biasing their experience of it. Remember, the prompt is, my childhood wound is the feeling I am not enough. So that's the yes. chat. Yeah. It is common for individuals to experience feelings of inadequacy or not being, quote unquote, enough during their childhood. This can be the result of various factors, such as the way we are raised, our environment, and our experiences. The feeling of I am not enough can be deeply wounding and can have lasting effects on an individual's self-esteem and self-worth. It can lead to feelings of insecurity, self-doubt, and low self-esteem, which can impact various aspects of an individual's life. It is important for individuals who have experienced this feeling to seek support and healing. This can involve therapy, support groups, or other forms of assistance to help them work through their feelings and develop a healthier sense of self-worth. By addressing the underlying causes of their feelings of inadequacy, individuals learn to love and accept themselves and move forward in their lives with confidence and self-assurance okay so what's your reaction you, oh my reaction is uh first of all they say their instead of your like they're not speaking to me they're speaking about the general population i think it's horrible i i just and understanding like it's we we talked about it i think in the i think in the last show we talked about how we wanted to maybe become a therapist it's nowhere near it all that, that almost felt like a, a Quora response or a Google response. Um, and, you know, I, we sort of talked about it last time. I would respect the uh, system more if it had just come back with, that must be difficult. Tell me more. Well, I got to tell you, one of the things that I was speaking with somebody about this, they were saying, oh, did you know? one of the things they did is they sucked down all of Quora. And that's one of the reasons why so many of the answers are wrong. <laughs> yeah, I somehow got on an email thread. Well, what's your take on it? 
Oh, my take is, first of all, it's remarkable that the computer can output something that is coherent, right? Yeah. You could not tell that it was not written by a person who is fluent in English and not fluent in emotions. Oh, right, right. That's good. <laughs> right. Well, the, the thing is, is it's like if I say my childhood wound is I'm not enough, I don't need you to explain what it means to be I'm not enough and how that contextually it's just a, it's just the lousy stuff where sometimes people if someone's telling me something difficult emotionally I rarely say everybody feels that way because the only person I'm dealing with is the person who's right in front of me and that's a that's several steps down the road of having them share with what's going on with me and so I was uh I was I guess I wouldn't I say I was disappointed would suggest I had higher expectations, but there well, was a small part of me that thought maybe it would come back with something because if, if it did take in all the internet somewhere, it's got to say, if someone's talking about their feelings, the best response is that must be difficult. Tell me more. So, well, let's take a look at what happens with the second prompt, which yeah. you provide, which is simple enough. I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. Feeling lonely is a common human experience. It is a feeling of isolation and disconnection from others, and it can be caused by a variety of factors. Some people may feel lonely because they are physically isolated from others, while others may feel lonely even when surrounded by people. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling lonely, it is important to acknowledge and validate your feelings. It is okay to feel lonely mm -hmm. and to recognize that this is a normal part of the human experience. It is also important to reach out to others and to try to connect with them. This can involve making an effort to spend time with friends and loved ones, joining a club or a group that shares your interests, or even just reaching out to someone to talk. Remember that you are not alone in feeling lonely and that there are people who care about you and want to help. By reaching out and making connections with others, you can begin to overcome your feelings of loneliness and build a sense of community and connection. Okay. Want my reaction to that? Yeah. Well, the only line I really like in it was it's okay to feel lonely. Like that is actually like a semi helpful thing. Everything else is like, let me solve your problem. Well, I think that, you know, the way I would describe it is it really feels like the default mode of chat GPT mm -hmm. is to write a short essay for an AP test. <laughs> Well, the, you know, when you read that, when you read the second one, did you see the movie Dodgeball? Yes. So when there was this old black, it was Hank Azaria was in it. It was this old black and white, or it was a sepia tone That's video. Right. No, it was black and white, one of the two, where he explained the rules of Dodgeball. That felt like a, like a film that I would have seen in health class, like in my sixth or seventh grade with, with like breaks in the film and like the, the voice goes and then keeps going. It just felt like a like a lousy explanation that could have been appropriate in like the 1970s. And in the movie Dodgeball, a true underdog story, Hank Azaria played the young Patches O'Houlihan, <laughs> legendary dodgeball champion. Hank Azaria is not appreciated the way he should be. He well, is fantastic. I agree. He is a remarkable guy. I think that he is able to comfort himself as he cries himself to sleep with the many, many millions of dollars that being on The Simpsons has provided him That's over true. the past 35 years. That's true. That's true. His work, when, when he did, I can't remember what the, it was somebody's name, but his his stuff on that show where he was a baseball announcer, like the first two seasons of that were hilarious. And then he had a podcast that was really funny as well. Are you thinking about, uh, and again, I don't know this show. Are you thinking about Arliss or? No, no. Arliss was the scout Eastbound one. and down. Nope. That's, um, that's the, that's the curly haired guy with the yes, mustache. Danny McBride. Yeah. Hold on one second. I'll, you, you entertain the, the audience while so I. So the other thing I'll mention about Hank Azaria is that he's had a number of roles. Again, most people know him for his voice, but he's in a number of, of different roles that are pretty important. My favorite, of course, is he played Agador, the houseboy in the birdcage, which is the American oh, remake right, of La Caja. Right, right, right. I forgot about that. Um, the, the show was called Brockmire. Brockmire. It was yeah. really good. Anyway, so check it out. So how do we get to Hank Azaria? Oh, because we're talking about dodgeball. Yes. Um, so 
the the only thing I would be curious about about those two responses because you read them in the order we did it. Correct. Because the second one had one line that was good. So the question is, as you keep asking those, um, well, the, the 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 one thing I've like a friend of mine typed in, why should I go see the father daughter dance play? And it gave a marketing thing that was awesome. Really? It was so good. Oh yeah, it was amazing. It was, it said, why should I go see the father daughter dance play by Tim Taylor? And it kicked it out. Anyway, so I guess more to learn about that, right? Well, I think again, it reflects the following. The corpus of the internet is long on marketing and short on emotional honesty. I think that's true. I think that's true. And I, I don't know, I don't know how, I guess there's certain words in certain posts where someone says, I'm going to be vulnerable. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But uh, uh, I mean, that that literally sounded like a Google, both of them sounded like Google searches. And the first answer that comes up at the top has that little segment from the entire article. So maybe we got to just ask it different. Well, so, but my personal interest is the emotional stuff. Your interest is uh, what will, um, how many how many games will Anthony Davis play in for the Lakers in the next three months? That is a very important question. <laughs> I don't know if the no listeners know that you are a diehard Lakers fan. Well, you know, with the Lakers this season, obviously Anthony Davis's remarkable play has helped them slowly climb back into things. But now Anthony Davis has been out with flu-like yes. symptoms. Yes. And so a Lakers team without Anthony Davis and LeBron James is basically like a very bad Thunder team from a number of years ago with a <laughs> reduced right. Russell right. Westbrook. Right. I, I don't I don't get the idea of <laughs> what it's like why is he out? Because of flu-like symptoms. Why not just say he has the flu? Well, they don't know for sure he has the flu. It could be something else. Well, don't you think they would have the doctors who would know that? Hey, you know, medical science is very, very uh, shaky at best. That's what I learned from watching Dr. Leo Spachemin on 30 Rock. So are you saying that medical and scientific scientific knowledge is always expanding? Yes, let's okay, go so, with that. So sort of like uh, Oliver Miller's waistline. <laughs> we have now, we have now... We successfully driven away every possible listener. Yes, but let us continue, anyways. Right. Oliver Miller was a good player. Um, so you know, actually, we, this is a really good thing. We we talked about thirty something, mm -hmm. and I have a claim that I want to share with you, and I want your reaction to it. All right. So I believe that we are in a golden age of television right now, and I think it's because, um. First of all, there are so many more channels to um, to to distribute this TV uh, material, mm -hmm. and in that environment where I can watch Netflix, Hulu, although Hulu has some of the has some of the shows that are actually on TV, but like CBS, NBC, Fox, uh, HBO, Showtime, whatever it is, or you know, some of the other FX or whatever it is. Uh, but my belief is by having that many choices, it has amped up the competition to create good content. And I think, I mean, you, people who aren't listening, but the show is like, you can see that Believe is behind me. It's Ted Lasso thing. Uh, I just feel like writers are increasingly courageous and unapologetic and talking about stuff that is is more real i guess i would say it's like i was thinking about do, do you remember uh, i don't know how and I, you don't watch much tv now but did you did you watch tv much in your early years yes of course when i was okay. young i watched television all the time okay so do you remember the first episode of a show where you saw alcoholism being portrayed if i were to guess it was ironically enough probably the television show family ties yes! with a very young tom hanks that is exactly what i was going to say that was the first time tom hanks comes in and he's 
it's a, it's a very short arc. It's like a 23 minute show where he goes from being really drunk to, and, and Alex really admires him. And then he does something to Alex hits him, maybe hits him. Um, I don't remember where he hits him. What always, what I always remember is that he drank vanilla extract, which made me file that away and think if I'm ever an alcoholic, <laughs> vanilla extract is the key. So that actually, interestingly, like that's actually a good point. Like a lot of people don't understand alcoholics don't just drink alcohol. Like they get desperate enough. Um, I was never like this, although I'm, I'm a re recovered alcoholic and drug addict. Uh, they'll drink anything that has liquor in it. So so you, you do the arc to now, and there's a show called Shameless, which mm -hmm. has the great William H. Macy in it. Um, and the, just just the idea that he was Jerry Lundegaard in Fargo, and he's Frank Gallagher in Shameless. It's just, dude's amazing. And it is a, it, it's a pretty gritty look at alcoholism. I think they actually make it a little too comedic. They don't really look at it seriously, although they show the reactions of the kids. But it's like, I think people are going into subjects that are, have never been explored. It's even like Ted Lasso, where they wrote a lot about the divine feminine. J um, Jason Sudeikis said that. And so the shows I'm watching recently, even a, there's a show called The Haunting of Hill House. Mm -hmm. Was it 2018? It was amazing. It was amazing because it took on addiction and mental illness. In the context of a, not a horror movie, but whatever, like a ghost movie kind of thing. And I, I you know, Abbott Elementary, Atlanta, um, uh, even Handmaid's Tale, the first season was terrific. There's, there's just a million more that I, I really enjoy, Shameless, which I'm starting to watch now. There's just a million more shows that are so much more interesting and they don't have the same beats that every other show had in a different context back then. The only shows that felt courageous were like all in the family and good times written by the same person. Mm -hmm. Those, those, those shows were, uh, they portrayed real life characters and real life situations in a way where there was no apologies for it. So my, my view is, um, that we are in a golden age of television. There is more, um, likelihood of even, even, uh, what's the Korean one called, uh, squid games. Mm-hmm. Squid Game's amazing. It's an amazing commentary on social constructs and female male dynamics. So it's interesting that the channels have have, have uh, increased, and yet the quality has gone up. So that's my well. Let me let, right let me let me go ahead and provide my explanation. Perfect. Much like ChatGPT, hopefully it'll be more correct than ChatGPT. Okay. There are structural reasons for this golden age of television that we're going through right now. Okay. And the structural reason is as follows. The shift in business model has changed the set of incentives around the creation of television. Okay. The traditional broadcast television model meant that you had two things that you needed to do in order to make money. Mm -hmm. Thing number one was to attract a live audience to whom you could sell advertisements against. Mm -hmm. And thing number two was to be able to get to the point where you had 100 episodes so you could go into syndication and oh, sell it everywhere. Right. Oh, my God. Right. So that was how it worked. And by the way, there are many great shows that fell under that paradigm, including shows like All in the Family and Good Times, but also shows like Seinfeld. Seinfeld right. syndication rights were among the most expensive television rights ever purchased. Right. And in that context, what did that mean? It meant that you had to make a show that would appeal to as many people as possible. Correct. And it also meant that you had to crank out at least 22 shows a year because you need to be able to get to that 100 episodes as quickly as possible. And if the show were popular, the network might have you do 24 or even 26 episodes per year. Right. So in that context, the focus is on appeal broadly and move as quickly as possible. Now, get that, as many as, as many in the can as possible, which is why 30 minute shows are better than our shows. Right. Because they're cheaper. Right. And so as a result, what happens? The dominant forms of television are the 30 minute situation comedy, which is what's called a three camera setup. You okay. have three different cameras rolling at the same time. You don't ever mm -hmm. have to worry about direction or anything like that. And you were just bang out, you know, five shows a week. As Makes you sense. bang it out. Yes. And so 
do those sound like circumstances under which you're going to do your best creative, authentic work? No, 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 it's not. No. Now let's talk about what has changed. What's changed is the shift to the streaming paradigm. Yep. And the streaming paradigm is a shift, not just in format, not just in, Hey, it's being delivered over the internet, but it's a shift in business model. Right. Because it is no longer advertising driven. It's subscription driven. True. And so the key is, can I produce programming that is so compelling to a particular individual that they will maintain their subscription regardless of what else happens? So a show like Ted Lasso, which attracts enormously loyal fans, mm -hmm. is huge for Apple TV Plus because it gives those fans a reason to subscribe because they'll say, as I'm sure you do, well, I want to continue to have access to this and I'll pay $6.99 a month or whatever it is. And then once you're doing that, you start to sample the other shows that are there. Yes. And you come to say, oh, this is great. I love Severance or I love Peripheral or what have you. So the dynamics have changed. The goal is to appeal to people intensely as opposed to appealing to a broad swath of people yep. enough to just keep them sitting there instead of changing the channel. So the only thing I don't quite get about that explanation. So like, let's take two shows, mm -hmm. Stranger Things and Queen's Gambit. Yes. I loved the first season of Stranger Things. It was one of the best first seasons of television I've ever seen. Yes. And, and, but it was four seasons. I don't know if there's going to be a fifth, but there's, or maybe three seasons, there's going to be a fourth. And Queen's Gambit was a self-contained, whatever it was, six episode story about this woman who played chess. And what's interesting to me about it is that everything you said, it's like, do you try to create individual shows that on their own get really popular, like Queen's Gambit or even Tiger King, right? Versus Stranger Things, which has gone season by season by season. I suppose both things keep subscribers uh, and yes. gain subscribers. Uh, I'll, put it, I'll put it this way. The networks or streamers, however you want to refer to them, would prefer the creators of Queen's Gambit to do five seasons of the Queen's Gambit. Right. But the creators are in many cases deciding, hey, you know what? There's enough demand for our services. I don't have to make the yeah. additional seasons that I don't actually feel compelled to make. Yeah. I'll make something else. You'll pay me to do something else because you're betting that I'll produce something else that's incredible. Yeah. Or alternately, you could be like, Mike White of White Lotus and say, you know what? It'll be called White Lotus. And White Lotus is a chain of resorts. And each season will be a completely different set yes. cast, a completely different setting, a completely different plot line. And there'll be some similarities, but this will allow me to get HBO. By the way, this is brilliant on Mike White's part. And you may remember him primarily for his on-camera work as Mr. Schneebly in School of Rock. Oh my God, I've never seen it. But Mike White basically has HBO giving him a colossal amount of money mm -hmm. to spend three to four months a year in a paradise, a five-star resort, filming a television show each season. This is kind of like the high-end version of Adam Sandler setting every movie of his in Hawaii. Right, right. And it's interesting, White Lotus is actually being released episodically as opposed to all at once, like some of the shows do. Well, this uh, is all, it's all a question of the streamer and their strategy. HBO has always taken the release over time strategy. Netflix has stuck their banner on the binge strategy. Yeah, yeah. And various other streamers have gone one way or the other. I yeah. personally believe it is stronger to release over time, to give the community a chance to build up over time but Netflix has also been very successful with its binge strategy. So what am I to say? Well, so I, when I like, by the way, White Lotus in the second season, which I didn't think would be good was, is amazing. Michael Imperioli and Aubrey Plaza are absolutely um, phenomenal. I prefer when a show comes out once a week to wait until there's like five weeks of it. And then I go watch it. Interesting. Now I have two ideas for, um, for TV shows. Okay. One would be called straightish. All right. And it would be exploring all the dynamics around sexuality and relating to each other and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. The other one would be called, um, instead of dysfunction, it would be called dysfunction. 
And tell me more about this function. <laughs> First of all, the name wouldn't look like that in print. It would be F star, 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 um, K, T, I, one, whatever it is. Don't F star, star, K, T, I, one. So uh, the, it, the whole show is about the, the dynamics of family dysfunction and how frustrating it is, which is why I use the F word mm -hmm. and also uh, sexual exploits of people and also effed up people in a situation and uh, the FU belief of, you know, rebelling and all that kind of stuff, because just to call it dysfunction is, is not, or dysfunctional, like that's just not interesting enough. and doesn't really have the emotional power pack that it has. Um, I think dysfunctional would actually carry a, a bigger, a bigger weight. And I just, I feel like the more content that's out there that is relevant to issues and categories that people want to talk about, I, I think it's true. I mean, at the same time, Ozarks was awesome. Yeah. Ozark was just, anyway, so you, you were researching something. What were you researching? Well, I have just asked ChatGPT <laughs> to write a synopsis of a television called, called television show called Straightish oh, that explores perfect. the wide variety of modern sexuality. Okay. And it's just finished. Well, I'm going to read you fresh off the presses. Time Should for we, you to pitch this. Wait, do we, do we need to like put any kind of legal stuff around this to make sure only, only the two of us have it. No, uh, I just... think that, you know, there's an inherent copyright yeah. that occurs and the fact that we are recording it on this podcast will serve as our copyright notice <laughs> straightish is a comedic television show that explores the complexities of modern sexuality the show follows the lives of three friends alex lizzie and tim as oh, they tim, oh my the, god <laughs> i know as they navigate the challenges and surprises of dating and relationships in the 21st century alex is a gay man who has recently come out to his conservative family as he begins to explore the world of dating, he quickly realizes that being gay isn't as simple as he thought. Oh, Lizzie, meanwhile, is a bisexual woman who is in a long-term relationship with a man, but finds herself increasingly drawn to women. Tim, the only straight member of the group, <laughs> finds himself in a series of comedically disastrous relationships. Oh my God. As he tries to figure out what he really wants. Yeah. Throughout the series, the friends encounter a wide variety of people and experiences that challenge their assumptions about sexuality and relationships from exploring open relationships and non-binary identities. Oh my God. Oh shades my God. of one of our previous episodes yes. to confronting their own biases and prejudices. Straightish offers a fresh and humorous take on the complexities of modern sexuality. That is literally a pitch right there. Yes, That's it is. a pitch. It's really good at writing these television show pitches. Yes. By the way, I identify more as straightish, not completely straight. So I have my my nuances, but that's amazing. I think that's that that literally like when you hear that, it's like that would sell. And you know who it would sell to the younger people, hmm. which is a desirable demographic. And so well, you think it would sell to younger people since both of us are old. We don't really know if it would sell to younger people. <laughs> that's true. Did I say I would think it was or I say it will? I think you said it will. Okay, got it. So I, I have no standing to say that. And like the only thing, I, let's just put a bow on the conversation around the golden age of television. The one thing that still confounds me is the ridiculous number of reality shows. And I get the economics of why they do it low production cost, all that kind mm -hmm, of jazz, mm -hmm. particularly with ones that aren't like the Kardashians or got to pay salaries or whatever it is, uh, like um, Survivor or stuff like that. Love is Blind even. By the way, there's, I want to make a quick side note. Love is Blind. You ever heard of that show? Of course. Okay. So my daughter and I watched two seasons of it together. We watched one season of 90 Day Fiance. And for any dads out there, particularly of daughters um, or probably uh, moms of sons as well, you can watch those shows. I watch those shows with Zoe. Let me make it personal. And by watching their behavior, I could have conversations with her about relationships. And I don't know if she knows that's what I'm trying to do, but that's what ends up happening. 
So there is some merit to those shows. Uh, anyway, so the, the, the ridiculous number of reality shows that I guess have like niche appeal on some level and very niche appeal. That's like survivors had like 30 seasons. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I don't think Netflix or Hulu or I don't even know if HBO, uh, they used to have the taxi cab confessions or maybe that was Showtime. That, that was, was HBO. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I, I don't know how to rectify that versus these streaming channels. So it's actually exactly like you said, the shows are popular. They don't cost much to make and you can crank them out like there's no tomorrow. Right. And now Discovery Plus, which is now owned by Warner Brothers, it offers you the ability to subscribe to all your favorite reality shows in streaming form. It's essentially a streaming network that's nothing but trashy reality shows. Wow. I did not. And it's called Discovery Plus? Discovery Plus because the Discovery Channel is now the home for these things. Just like TLC, which was once upon a time the Learning Channel, is now also the home for these things. It's like the Cooking Channel has no cooking. The History Channel has no history. The Learning MTV. Channel has no learning. MTV, MTV doesn't has play no music. music. <laughs> you remember when MTV used to play music? It was I do. amazing. It was amazing when it first came out. So, so uh, I, I just, you know, it's just interesting that those that the golden age of television, as I define it is in concert with this explosive number of reality shows. And since I don't really watch them other than with my daughter, I don't know. I, I, I did watch the great British bake off, which I haven't been able to wa watch since I broke up with my girlfriend. Cause we used to watch it all the time together. Um, so oh, I thought it was because she had the Netflix subscription, but no, no, that's not it. <laughs> By the way, I had a theory the other day about divorces and breakups. Mm -hmm. I think, I think there should be a, there should be terms about who gets which songs. Like I get these songs that remind of us and then you get these songs. And then maybe now, there's like a 50, 50 custody arrangement or something like that. That is a good stand up comedy routine, but I got to tell you, unless you guys are hanging out, why do you care? <laughs> Only because if, if I have this whole selection of music that reminds me of her, which particularly was bad in 2020, uh, I would actually like a boundary of some sort that would be legally or something like that. Like I cannot listen to uh, I cannot listen to flake by Jack Johnson, which was a big one for me uh, during our relationship or um, some other sweet one. So my, you're my first, you're my last, you're my everything by Barry White was another one. Anyway. So what I don't know is are we in the golden age of, of reality shows? Because each one of them has a different twist and some of them get canceled after one season I just wouldn't argue that we're in the golden age. I, I think we're in the I think we're in the age of reality shows of low production cost, niche appeal can crank out. Well, you know, again, it depends on what your definition of a golden age is. I think that you are saying it's a golden age of television, both in terms of quantity and quality, the ability yes. to explore further issues. Yeah. I think you could argue that we're in a golden age of reality television in terms of exploring the strange ways that people could possibly get married. And, <laughs> right. you know, you happen to say, well, this is kind of trashy, high concept reality television show. Maybe you don't consider it high quality. Someone else, they may say, hey, this is the best thing ever. I mean, forget that David Attenborough life on earth crap. Let's let's get some people married. <laughs> I wonder if David Attenborough could come up with a like like a marriage reality show. Uh, so there's there's validity to what you're saying. And it just seems, yeah, it just seems like the niche trashiness of it is a ver like a derivative version of the same thing, which is people struggling, being idiots, uh, you know, just being self-aggrandizing. Well, let's be clear about why these shows exist. These shows exist so you can feel better about yourself. So yeah. that you can look at them on screen, laugh about them and say, at least I'm not that. <laughs> well, that's why it's good for me to watch them with my daughter, because uh, we actually have conversations about what they do. And first time we watched the first time we watched Love is Blind, we didn't mm -hmm. really get the concept and we watched it for the first time together. And what we didn't know was that in two episodes, people would start asking each other to, to get married. We were floored when that happened. Uh, but it, it it's it, like, there's a, one more thing about the golden age of television. 
to a certain degree, like White Lotus, the first season is a long movie. Yes. So I've actually started watching movies sometimes like a three episode show. I watch for 30 minutes, go away, come back 30 minutes, come back and watch another 30 minutes. And I'm just happy that, God, do you remember how big of a deal it was? And Ellen, when she came out as a, as a lesbian? Yes, I remember. So I, I thought you were going in a slightly different direction. I'm going to okay. cover that first. And then I'll come back to the notion okay. of television as joint shared experience. Okay. I thought what you're saying is another thing I failed to mention, which is the move from episodic to serialization. And that's been another of the main themes. Episodic television was designed for syndication. Okay. It's designed to be something where you happen to turn on the television. It doesn't matter whether you watch the previous episode or the next episode. Right. Kirk and Spock and McCoy are in a new planet. There's no three-parter or anything oh, like right. that. Oh, right. So it's actually, you could watch any one of them in a vacuum and you would enjoy it. You can watch any one in a vacuum and you can enjoy it. Yeah. That is not true of something like White Lotus. Something That's like true. White Lotus is serialized, which means it's essentially like a movie. Right. And the same was true of Game of Thrones and so on and so forth. Many people would argue that the pioneer of serialization in this sense was actually the syndicated television series Babylon 5, which was one of the first shows to really talk about, I've planned out a five season arc in advance, and we're going to gradually lay the breadcrumbs that are going to reveal the overall plot. Wow. So serialization is one of those key differentiators of this golden age of television. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. That's a good analysis. I hadn't thought of the, um, even Shameless, which has six seasons, like you have to watch every one in a row because mm -hmm. each one has plot twists. I think the other thing that, that <laughs> I think it was the Larry Sanders show where it was the first one where they didn't use laugh tracks. That might've been the first one. And now there it's- There have huh? been shows without laugh tracks prior to the Larry Sanders show, but correct. This is the traditional format of the three camera sitcom filmed in form of live studio audience with a laugh track was dominant. But what we moved to with Larry Sanders and other shows such as, of course, uh, Arrested Development, yeah. is the rise of the single camera sitcom. Single oh. camera referring okay. to movie-like cinematography shot on film without a laugh track. Yeah. I just think that, that that whole dynamic makes it, it makes it more like a theatrical play. So I'm just really like, I'm just really happy there's so many options and there's, you know, I try some and don't like them. Like everyone's revved up about Yellowstone. I did not enjoy that. Um, I didn't, after the first season and a half of Game of Thrones, I stopped because uh, I started getting too confused. Uh, but like the Sopranos and, and all these, and even the Sopranos, I, I watch it now and it does take on some topics like, one of the guys was gay and that was like a whole season arc. Uh, but it's just like, it's more nuanced now and exploring it sort of unapologetically makes me really happy. And I certainly know that there's some junk shows that are coming out. I'm just really happy that uh, I have the, like, like, by the way, the, the, the haunting of Hill house was a recommendation for my daughter. She's like, you have to watch it because it's a, um, it's a metaphor for awful family dynamics, mental illness, and addiction. And it all comes together in like the last two episodes. It's it's amazing. And you know what? I think most every person on that show, with the exception of the great um, Timothy Hutton, I didn't know any of the actors or actresses. I guess you say actors now because that's whatever, actors or actresses. And yet it was amazing. So- well, I think that the point is there are a bunch of amazing performers out there. We're not limited on human talent. That is truly something where the more we make, the more we discover amazing people. The other thing is I do think I, I want to put a little plug in here. It's very important not to go too ahistorical with our analysis of great art. Okay. So, you know, people, I remember we were talking to some of our friends, the Coach Beards Book Club podcast. Uh -huh. They were talking and, and doing a podcast recently. And I remember Dre was saying, you know, she went back and watched Star Trek, the original series, and she couldn't believe, you know, how dated it was and how mm -hmm. its values were so dissonant with today. And I think that it's important to note that and to warn people who are modern going back and looking at these things. Yeah. But I think it's also important to note, let's talk about how progressive this show was for its time. Yes. Groundbreaking show where it shows, you know, 
all the races of man on the bridge working together. Captain Kirk and Lieutenant who have the first interracial kiss on television or close to it. Yeah. You know, this is something where Star Trek explicitly tried to comment on the times and was one of the most progressive shows on television. Now today it looks retrograde because, right. you know, there's no female command officers and the like. But we can't judge it by the same standards as today. We have to look at it in its own context. And then also, if somebody modern goes to look at it, we have to make sure that they're aware in advance of the fact that times were different and there are things that they're going to have to expect that may be concerning to them. That's what amazed me about watching all old All in the Family episodes, because I like that unapologetic writing and portraying people as they actually are. And I guess the only thing is that the father wife, I'm saying the, the, the husband wife dynamic is yeah. definitely old school, but it actually translates pretty well as opposed to like my friends and I were talking about um, weird science, the movie, weird science and all those movies like weird science and 16 candles. And like, I, I have suggested my daughter uh, watches it and it is so out of step with um, the, the things that happen today. So, well, for example, the movie, Revenge of the Nerds, yes. which, you know, is in some ways a description of the past 35 years of human existence. But the movie Revenge of the Nerds is essentially centered around an endless series of sexual assaults. Right, right. It's incredible. It's literally incredible. I mean, th there's the, the whole scene in 16 Candles where Anthony Michael Hall ends up uh, with uh, Jake's girlfriend and she's drunk. It's just, it's just, oh my God, I can't believe it. By the way, can we go back to Quinn's, Ga Quinn's Gambit for a second? Sure. Did you know that, do you know where the, um, where the blonde haired kid who ended up being kind of her buddy, do you know where he, where we saw him for the first time? I don't, I actually haven't watched the Queen's Gambit. Oh, got it. Well, he was in love actually. Ah. And, and, and one other fast fact, what I didn't know, Lucille Ball is the reason that Star Trek came into existence. Oh, I knew that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> An amazing story. It was a Desilu production, and Lucille Ball, being a far-sighted woman, a genius, and a titan of the industry, backed it, and thanks to her, the world was forever changed. Yeah. I love the stories about things that, that nobody would back, and suddenly it's backed, and it's amazing. It's just fantastic. You know, we're almost out of time. That's true. Well, don't we have one or two other sort of running things that we need to do? There's usually uh, some see. sort of episodic thing you want us to do. Yeah, yeah. Hold on one second. Um, we got so distracted with chat GPT that we forgot to actually hit oh, our standard topics. Well, I like the the, the chat GPT, uh, GPT, I should say, is a little bit episodic. That's true. It's an ongoing conversation. We should make this the chat. We should have a chat GPT segment. Maybe we can get them to sponsor us. Well, that would be great. Uh, they have recently, not too recently, actually raised a billion dollars from Microsoft. So they have the money. Okay. You know anybody there? Uh, I might, but I don't okay. think that uh, sponsorship dollars are necessarily <laughs> flowing our way. Um, well, at least one segment we do, which I have my t-shirt on, right? Um, is called Real Men Cry. Mm. the rmc segment which is what have you seen uh lately where um a man has cried either in person or in the media or in politics or anything and i i have my first one okay why don't you go ahead first then okay so uh there i've mentioned the show shameless have you watched it I have not, but I am okay. aware that it stars the great William H. Macy. William H. Macy, right. And then a bunch of people I didn't know. Although one of the guys who's in it, uh, his name was Lip, as in Philip. He was the star of the Hulu show, The Bear, which was amazing about the Chicago restaurant. Anyway, so there was a moment where uh, there was either a breakup of some kind or he was because his father is just a disaster and just relating to that. And he he did this thing where because it's it's a rough south side of Chicago show. And he did this thing where he emoted what was really going on in the moment. And I only saw a couple of tears and I was so moved by it because you 
you get the feel for this this guy throughout. He's he's a genius intellectually. He um, he's a scientific and mathematic genius. Uh, and to see it portrayed that way, as opposed to like Niagara Falls, is is just so interesting. And he didn't seem to, although at some point he kind of he kind of like wiped it off because they're about survival. Uh, it's it's really interesting for me to see. Uh, interesting for me to see the portrayal of emotions that drive to crying that that based on who the character is i don't see a ton of i don't see a ton of l- crying with joy on tv that's just not something i i experience but that was my that was my moment that that moment in shameless which was awesome well the thing about crying and the funny thing that makes it so interesting in terms of filmed entertainment is that its power comes from its authenticity yeah from its rawness and that's one of the things that's so challenging for someone who is an actor to portray it yeah which is here you are you're faking it in the sense that you are playing someone who is not you and yet you have to find the emotional authenticity of it otherwise the audience will be able to tell well, so what I've always wondered about that is do actors um, like they're getting there and then it's sad. And then they think about the puppy they lost when they were five years old. And does that, or do they actually embody the emotions of the, the character they're playing? And that's where the tears come from. I think the great ones embody the emotions of the character that okay. they're playing. It's not right. just a trick where they pull a nose hair or think about their puppy or something <laughs> like that. It's, it's where they actually, are able to, and this is why when we talk about the great actors, you talk about how they can act without even speaking, right? Yeah. You can see through, it's almost like you can see into their minds. You can see yeah. the thoughts playing out over the course of their face, which is truly remarkable. So in terms of the men crying episode for me this week, uh, there is a television show called The Good Doctor. I happen to be watching it. Okay. And Never seen it. the main character is a doctor who's played by the great British actor, Freddie Highmore, who you may remember as the star of the Bates Motel. He paid, played Norman Bates. Oh, wow. Okay. But he also was a child actor. He was in movies like the spider Rick Chronicles and so on and so forth. He's in okay. a lot of movies okay. growing up and he's had a long and distinguished career already, which is pretty remarkable for a young guy. The good doctor is an American remake of a Korean television show. It was brought over to the United States by its producer, Daniel Day Kim, the Korean-American actor who has been very successful in his career. And The Good Doctor is an adaptation of a Korean television show about a doctor who is autistic. Okay. And it it focuses on his life and career and what he's dealing with as he uh, acts as a surgeon in a Bay Area hospital. Like Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area? The San Francisco Bay Area. Interesting. Okay. It's, it's explicitly set in the Bay Area. Okay, got it. And in the show, the scene in which he is crying, and he does it not in a flashy way, but in a mm-hmm. relatively unshowy way, he's speaking to one of the other characters, a female doctor, who he had to operate on and who lost her ability to walk as a result not necessarily through his fault or anything like that but still caused them to yeah. you know it was painful for her to see him and so they were friends and then they weren't seeing each other and he went to her to describe the situation and say you know i operated on you i made the right medical decision but i still feel badly that you lost something that's important to you and I miss you because you're my friend. And, you know, part of the conceit of the show obviously is by having a main character who is autistic, who is, you know, not coached in the standard social mores that most neurotypical people have, right. You're able to get towards a, in some sense, a greater degree of authenticity and rawness. And so as he's delivering this, you know, in his voice, which is not without too much inflection, yet within that, he's able to convey the feelings that he has. And he is actually not showily weeping, but not bawling, as you would say, but, you know, with tears coming down from his eyes. 
And it's a great example of somebody who's uh, really good at acting, but it also brings up so many other interesting questions, right? The idea of representation. Hey, wait a minute. This is a great actor, but he's not autistic. He's playing yes. someone who is autistic. All of these things that are so complex in today's world of art and entertainment. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, my light just went out. I guess it's just out of juice. Now, now I look very gray. Um, yeah. That, As that opposed brings... to your usual robust tan. <laughs> well, I just, I look dead. Like I look, I look like I'm haunting on house hill, uh, um, haunting of ha hill house. That's the right way to say it. It's just, it looks it's... like you're haunting hill house. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, <laughs> one of the questions we should put in chat GPT is how do you feel about Tim Taylor haunting hill house? <laughs> Anyway, so was he visiting her outside the hospital or inside the hospital? He was visiting her inside the hospital okay, at her desk. She was, you know, wheeling herself around, having lost feeling, having yeah. lost the ability to walk, uh, had readjusted to working at the hospital again, but uh, their relationship had been strained oh, as a result. Yeah. Got it. So she was, she was an employee of the hospital. Yes. One of his what fellow a powerful, surgeons. Yeah. What a powerful, what, one of the what? One of his fellow surgeons. And oh like God. all hospital dramas, right? These uh, every hospital drama, I mean, they lure people into becoming a doctor because every week it saved this person's life, and these people are having an affair, and and so on and so forth. And, and if you go into medicine thinking that every week you're going to be saving lives and also having affairs, it's really not a good thing. It's it is a disappointment. That is the easiest way to describe that. Well, very that's, much that's, a disappointment. That's awesome. Uh, I you know I, I'm going to cue the listener that. When the next episode that comes out, the the real man cry segment is going to be about me. I'm going to talk, tell a story about me. Yeah, yeah, it'll be that's juicy. a tease. That's a tease. Uh, I don't remember. If, I think that might be it. I don't know if we have any regular segments we didn't do. No, I think the most important one is the real men cry segment. Although you know, with the shirt, it, it does occur to me that perhaps it means that in the future we're going to have to do a real men laugh segment. <laughs> that's right. That's a good idea. That's right. That's a good idea. So. Uh, uh, so I think that the the next step is for our introduction person, co-person, Chris Ye, to take us out. So just so everybody knows, I'm wearing the Real Man Cry t-shirt. You can go to TimmyShirts.com and buy this shirt. I'm going to market it. A, a number of my friends bought it. So I'm going to market it for the holidays. We'll see what happens. What would a podcast be without blatant self-promotion? <laughs> You know, it would be a waste of time. <laughs> there you go. Well, right. on that note, I want to thank you for being loyal listeners of the Real Men Cry and Laugh podcast starring Tim Taylor and Chris Ye. I hope that you've had a chance to cry and laugh a little bit. We try to make you laugh. Hopefully we, make, we don't make you cry tears of frustration and anger. But we do try to explore all the different elements of being human, especially from the perspective of being a man in the 21st century. Yes. As always, we are grateful if you will tell other people about the podcast, if you will rate and review the podcast, as Tim pointed out, that is the way to help us. And until we have a begging bowl in the form of a Discord or a Patreon, that's the best way that you can support us. <laughs> right, right. Right. And if you have any suggestions about topics you want us to cover, Tim, what is the email address oh, you set up for this? Oh, this is very exciting. It's uh, real, R-E-A-L, men, C-A-L. So it's it looks like real men cal, but it's re real men crying left. So real men, C-A-L at gmail.com. And we did that because we didn't want you to have to type out real men cry and laugh. I mean, that's a lot of letters <laughs> right. to type out. Right, right, right. That's, there's no question. You can't even you can't even use chat GPT to type out an email. So we considered RM Cal, but we figured that was hard to remember. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a that sounds like a, a fledgling insurance company, RM Cal. Hey, listen, they offer the best rates and they've got very quick adjusters. <laughs> and we'd have to find like a we have to find like a like a spokesperson, like the gecko or something like that. I don't, I don't know what that, what that would be. Um, maybe it would just be a bunch of doppelgangers of Chris Ye. That might be good. That would actually be great. We'd have everyone read the same script at once. <laughs> right. And then we'd have a thing where you put the picture up and then 
if you identify the real Chris Ye, you get 10% off your policy for the first year. That's a lot. That's all. That's too that's, much. Uh, that's a lot. Let, yeah. Let's give them 10% off the first month. I mean, we're still <laughs> trying to make a few bucks here. Come on now. All right. All right. And with that, that concludes the Real Men Cry and Laugh podcast, or at least it concludes it until Tim interrupts once more. Uh, <laughs> that concludes the Real Men Cry and Laugh podcast. Please tune in for future episodes where we will hear about Tim Taylor and his crying. And, you know, I cannot wait to see more of chat GPT and what it makes of Tim Taylor and the Tim Taylor experience. Tim, thank you so much. Yeah, as man. always. Thanks. I, I love you. I love you too, man. All right. Yeah.